The Bible lesson for today is written in the fourth chapter of Mark, beginning with verse 35. That day, when evening came, he said to his disciples, Let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, Don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. The word of the Lord. Good morning again, everybody. Thank you. It's a real joy to be here with you this morning. If you're new around here, my name is Steve, and I'm one of your pastors here. And I'm really grateful for the privilege to share the good news of God in Jesus Christ with you today. I want to say thank you to Emily. Thanks for sharing your story this morning. Uh, We all know that takes courage, and thank you for the vulnerability and authenticity that you risked uh, here with us this morning. Thank you. That's a part of Emily's story. The truth is there are hundreds of stories here this morning. A lot of us have stories that may not be exactly like yours, but that are the stories of the storms in our own lives. Somebody said to me once, and I can no longer remember who it was, but somebody said to me once, you know, I I think the truth about life is that you're pretty much always either going through a storm or just came out of one, or else about to head into one. (laughs) And I think for those of us who are, if you're a follower of Jesus here today, or if you're not a Christian yet at this time in your life but are curious about that, I think the question that a lot of us wonder about and want to know about is what difference does Jesus make in the storms in our lives. What difference does Jesus make on the one hand to the condition of the storm that we're in, and what difference does Jesus make to the condition of us in the midst of the storm that we're in? We've heard one story of the difference that Jesus is making in the midst of your storm. We could multiply those stories, and of course the passage that we read this morning tells the story of the disciples encountering and traveling with Jesus in the middle of a literal storm, and that kind of fills out the picture for us a little bit. Jesus and his, some of his closest followers had been teaching and engaging in ministry for some time, and it came to the end of one particular long day. It was evening, and they got into a boat somewhere on the north shore of Lake Galilee, the Sea of Galilee, and they embarked in that boat and took off. And then the winds came, and they swept down the slopes of the mountains, perhaps out of the north of the high country on the north side of the Sea of Galilee, and unexpectedly, suddenly there was a storm. A great wind arose and the winds were breaking across the bow of that little boat. And began to, the boat began to take on water and the disciples were frightened and they woke Jesus. Jesus was sleeping. <laughs> they woke Jesus whose head was on a pillow in the stern of the boat. And they're like, Jesus, wake up! I mean, look what's going on here. The boat's taking on water. It's not only our side of the boat that is sinking, you know. 
we're dying here. Do something about it, aren't, can't you? And Jesus wakes up and he rebukes, interesting word, he rebukes the wind and the waves and says to the wind and the waves, peace, be still, hush. And suddenly the great storm turned into a great calm. And then he asked the disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you not yet have faith? Interesting challenge to them. And then the disciples feared a great fear. They weren't afraid of the waves. They were in awe. They were in wonder. They experienced the fear of the Lord and asked themselves about Jesus who was in the boat with them. Who is this? Who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? Call me Captain Obvious, but as I read the story and think about the experiences of our own lives, the first thing that becomes immediately clear to me is this. There will be storms. There will be storms. Even in the life of people who love God and know God, there will be storms in life. There was a literal storm in this passage, right? The wind swept down off the hills and roiled the waves and riled the fears of the disciples. There will be storms. Emily, you shared your story with us. We could multiply stories of the storms in our lives. I think Mark, who wrote this story down, we think, tradition tells us, Mark may have been recording the memories of the disciple Peter who remembered this event. And when he wrote down the details of the story, there are so many that he could have told. Like, how big were the waves and approximately how many knots were the winds and what direction was it coming from and precisely where were you departing from? All these details we don't exactly know. But he included this detail. There were other boats. There were some other boats that were out there in the water. You can read right past that. A lot of us probably missed it as we were reading it. And I just, I can't help but wonder if this isn't Mark the storyteller, Mark the narrator, Mark the biographer, including a little hint whereby he invites his original readers 2,000 years ago and all of us readers ever since to get in the boat and join the story, (laughs) to see ourselves in the story, to see ourselves in the midst of the storms and the midst of the waves with the Lord Jesus himself. There will definitely be storms. And I pause over this because there are just so many of us, so many friends in my life over the years who have become so disillusioned when the storms have struck their lives. When storms have struck and we go, I don't need that kind of God. There must not be a God. I don't want anything to do with the God who would bring that kind of pain, who would allow that kind of pain to come into my life. And I understand where that comes from. I understand reacting like that out of our pain. And yet at the same time, that kind of thing just breaks my heart every time. Time after time, for years I see this and I just hate to see that happen in people's lives because it is a relationship with the Lord Jesus. It is the the resources that are available to us in the Bible that offer us such, so many rich resources for navigating the storms in our lives. And I just hate to see us turn our backs on God when we need God most. And I, I think there's nothing in the Bible, there's, there's, no, there's nothing about the life of Jesus, there's nothing about the lives of the earliest Christians that would ever lead me to suspect anything other than storms are normal in the Christian life. We should expect them. This is the normal course of events in Jesus' life and has been the experience of Christians all over the world and throughout history. There will be storms, and yet there are such resources in our relationship with God and his word to us for surviving the storms. Let me give you one example of this. 
If you have your Bible with you, we could do a little experiment here and you could read along with me. And if you don't, there's a Bible that looks exactly like this in the rack in front of you. I'll help you find the page. Read something with me, would you? We're going to read from Psalm Psalm 6. Uh, If you're using one of these Bibles right here, you can find Psalms pretty much in the middle. Just open to the middle. You might be there. And uh, this Psalm 6 is on page 433 of these black hardcover Bibles that are in front of you. I just want to show you one way that the Bible teaches us how to pray in the storms, how it gives us an example of turning to God in our storms. If you want to use your phones, you can just navigate to Psalm, the book of Psalms and choose Psalm 6. This psalm, it says, is written by someone named David, who was a great king of Israel. David was the author of a lot of these prayers, a lot of these psalms. He was an ancestor of Jesus. And David wrote this. Lord, don't rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath. Have mercy, Lord, I'm faint. Heal me, Lord. My bones are in agony. My soul is in deep anguish. How long, Lord? How long? So keep your page there. I'm going to keep going. David cries out to God in the midst of the storm, right? I'm dying over here, God. I'm worn out. This is, this is all I can take. Go easy on me. Cut me some slack. Give me a break here, God. How long is this going to last? It, as I read through the Psalms, that strikes me as one of the most common individual lines of prayer in the Psalms. How long is this going to go on? How long, O oh Lord? Turn, Lord, and deliver me. Save me because of your unfailing love. Among the dead, no one proclaims your name. Who praises you from the grave? This, this is kind of a striking little prayer to make. The psalmist, David, is bargaining with God. And his bargaining chip is, God, if I die, I can't praise you anymore, right? <laughs> How many of you have ever bargained with God in prayer, right? There's precedent for that here in the scriptures. God, I would love to worship you. I would love to have a testimony. I would love to tell people how you saved me. But for that to happen, you're going to have to save me. (laughs) I'm worn out from my groaning. All night long, I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. My eyes grow weak with sorrow. They fail because of all my foes. This graphic kind of poetic picture of just how rough the storm is, of just how much I hurt. And we don't get a lot of details about what exactly the storm was. It seems to involve that there are foes, there are enemies, there are people who are doing me wrong and I am afraid of it. But David gives this description, I'm crying myself to sleep at night. I'm drenching my bed, my couch with my tears. Help, God. What I'm so amazed by is the, the presumption, the assumption behind this scripture that, that God, first of all, has allowed his own life to be tied up with the lives of his people. That's kind of staggering. And furthermore, that the God of heaven and earth should care that I'm hurting. I mean, don't miss that. The God of a hundred billion galaxies should care that you and I and we are hurting. What a staggering picture of God. Away from me, all you who do evil, for the Lord has heard my weeping. The Lord has heard my cry for mercy. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies will be overwhelmed with shame and anguish. They will turn back and suddenly be put to shame. What a turn in the prayer here. 
And notice there is no indication in the psalm, in the prayer, that the circumstances of the storm have changed, right? If anything, there is every indication that the storm has actually not yet ceased to blow. David is praying in faith that God has heard my prayer and he will save me. This will happen. I'll be delivered from the people who are doing me wrong someday, sometime. And he turns to God in prayer and thanksgiving. This psalm, like so many others, there are scores of these prayers in the psalms that pray in faith in the midst of the storm. I had an Old Testament professor years ago. Her name was Ellen Davis, and she wrote a book uh, on the psalms and other parts of the Old Testament that I found really valuable. And she has a little quote there that she shared that I thought was so helpful. Reflecting on the number of these lament psalms, these crying out to God in the midst of the in the midst of the storm kind of prayers. She said, it seems that uh, the, the Israelites wanted to teach us, the, the Psalms want to teach us, that the kind of prayer in which we most need fluency is the loud groan. <laughs> the ability to cry out to God in the midst of the storms. I'm dying here. Don't you care? Save me, oh God. Which is pretty much what the disciples prayed, right? In the midst of the storm, they woke Jesus up. He's asleep in the stern on his pillow. And they go, Jesus, save us. We're in the middle of the storm. I'm dying over here. There will be storms. There will be storms in the Christian life. And what matters most is the relationship that we have with a trustworthy God in the middle of those storms. I learn about this relationship we have with God also from the storms, right? When we read this passage, and I think based on our own experience, we can also say this truth. The storm reveals us. The storm reveals something about us. In the middle of the storm, the disciples in this story are terrified. The waves are breaking over the sides of their little boat. And Jesus, we're dying here. Help, we're terrified. They're terrified because their vulnerability has been exposed. The storm has revealed their vulnerability. And it's understandable that they're terrified. How many of you love to have your vulnerability exposed, right? Don't we spend most of our efforts every day hiding our vulnerability? Don't we try to make it look like there's no storm? And if there is, we got this under control. It's all going to be just fine. But their vulnerability is exposed and the fear begins to roil inside of them. There had been an external storm and now there is an, an internal fear storm. And the internal storm in our lives is often every bit as destructive and dangerous as the external storm, isn't it? It it appears to me, it seems to me, that we are often the very worst versions of ourselves when we are driven by our fears. It seems to me that in our individual lives and in our relationships and in our society, that we are the worst versions of ourselves when we act based on our fears. Because we get defensive. We try to protect ourselves. And when we get defensive, we get downright offensive, right? Because we intuit that the best defense is a good offense. So we attack when we feel like we're vulnerable to attack. And we get mean with one another. We're the worst versions of ourselves when we're driven by fear. But Jesus is so brilliant and so good. And he puts his finger on this in conversation with the disciples in the boat. He asks them, why are you afraid? Why are you acting out of your fear? Don't you yet have faith? (laughs) The alternative to fear. (laughs) Don't you yet have faith? And I think that there might be two different kinds, two different sides to this faith that Jesus wants to teach them. One side is faith like his, 
the kind of faith that Jesus had in the boat. As we are discipled to him, learning to emulate the faith in God that he had. The kind of faith that allowed him to be at peace and asleep on a pillow in the stern of the boat. Because God's got this. Because it's going to be okay. Because God's got this. Faith like Jesus. But also, I think, another thing that the disciples were just beginning to learn. And that is faith in Jesus. Faith in Jesus because not only does the storm reveal us, but the storm also reveals Jesus. Listen now for a second. When they woke Jesus up, he rebuked the wind and the waves. Isn't that kind of a weird thing to actually say? That's a little bit of a weird word choice. He, he yelled at, he scolded, he rebuked, he commanded, is a little closer maybe, the wind and the waves. And then, it, this interestingly is the same word that Mark tells us is what Jesus did to the evil spirits in the earlier chapters. The threats to their lives and their community and the goodness of creation. Jesus rebuked the evil spirits. And then Jesus says to the wind and the waves, peace be still, hush, be quiet. Which again is a little bit of an odd word choice for when you're talking to the weather. I mean, I understand what it means, but it's an odd word choice, except that it's exactly the same thing that Jesus also said to the evil spirits in the earlier chapters of the Gospel of Mark. Hush, don't say anything more. Jesus is stronger than all the things that threaten us. Jesus is stronger than the evil in the world. Jesus is stronger than the, than the fallen world. Jesus is stronger than the danger in the world. Jesus overpowers the storm. And then at the end of the passage, the disciples say something so interesting. Who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? Which in many ways is simply the central question that, that Mark, the gospel of Mark was written to answer. Also Matthew, Luke, and John. Who is this man? Who is this? But, but the words, the very words, the very way they ask this question hints at something that they could scarcely dare to say directly. They come at it almost mysteriously, unable to imagine that they are thinking what they are imagining. Their words echo the words of another psalm. You you don't have to turn here. You can if you want, but I'll just read it to you. This one is Psalm 127, starting at verse 23. See if this sounds familiar, this prayer that the disciples and Jesus himself would have been praying since childhood. Some went out on the sea in ships. They were merchants on the mighty waters. They saw the works of the Lord, his wonderful deeds in the deep. He spoke and stirred up a tempest. It lifted high the waves. They mounted up to the heavens and went down to the depths, and in their peril, their courage melted away. Maybe they would have called on a prayer like this in their minds in that kind of situation. They reeled and staggered like drunkards. They were at their wit's end. Then they cried out to the Lord, to the living God, to Yahweh, the God of heaven and earth, in their trouble. And he brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. Who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? Who is this? These disciples, they had already come to see that Jesus was the most incredible teacher of God's word and about God that they'd ever encountered. The greatest rabbi and teacher and prophet who had ever lived. That he was saving people from diseases and driving out evil spirits. And I think that they had begun to reckon really seriously with the possibility that this rabbi who taught in their synagogues 
was maybe even God's own Messiah, that he was the promised Savior, the one who would come to deliver his people and change the world. I think they were beginning to suspect that this hope could possibly be coming true. But now they're beginning to wonder against their own good sense. Is it possible that, that the one who is in the boat with us is not only the great prophet of God, but could it be that he is actually the presence of No, it can't be. It can't, it can't be. Is it possible that he's not only the great prophet of God, but that, that God is in the boat with us? And this is the truly remarkable claim of Christian faith, that, that we believe, that we know, that we receive a God whose power over the storms over the power of evil, over the things that destroy and threaten us, that his power, the kind of God that we worship, is not a God who exercises power from a safe distance, but that God got into the boat with us, that God gets into the storms with us, that he rides out the winds and the waves right there at our side, even to the point of death, y'all, and then three days later gets up shining again, stilling the greatest storms that could ever be in our lives, who is this that even the wind and the waves would obey him? Just a second, I'm gonna lead us in a prayer. In just a a minute, I'm gonna lead us in a prayer where we have the opportunity to, to come to Jesus and to bring him, to name before him the storms that rage in our own lives and to pray for him to create a calm in our lives and to worship him in the midst of the storms. And as I pray, I'm going to follow the pattern of something that happens in this story. And not all the Bible translations. In fact, I haven't actually found one that's super clear about this. But the way Mark tells this story, he uses the word great three times. There are three greats in the story. There's a great storm, a great calm. And the, the Greek word that Mark uses is mega, right? There's a mega storm. And it threatens them. And then Jesus creates a, a mega calm. He creates a great calm. There's a great storm. There's a great calm. And then they're terrified. They're scared, they're afraid. And then Jesus says, do you not yet have faith? And then Mark writes down literally, they feared a mega fear. They feared a great fear. But I don't think this is the same fear anymore. This isn't cowardice anymore. This isn't terror before the size of the waves. This is what we call the fear of the Lord. This is awe and wonder and reverence at the one who is more powerful than the things that threaten us. So let me lead us in a prayer where each of us has the opportunity to name before God the great storms and pray for a great calm and come before the Lord in awe and wonder. Let's bow our heads together in prayer. Oh, Lord Jesus, you know the storms that threaten us. You know them because you're in them with us. You know. You know them better than we maybe know them ourselves because we try to hide from them a lot, but they're there. And here in this place, before you, in your presence, we bring to you the things that threaten us, that that drive fear in our lives. You know the diagnoses that can come from every side. You know the, the broken relationships. You know the financial struggles and the anxieties. You know the loneliness. You know the hurting marriages. You know the storms in our lives, and you know the fear that it drives in us, how we are churned up on the inside, how we feel it in our gut, and we feel as if we are at peril. We are staggering around under this, and 
we are here today to cry out to you in our fear that you would replace it with faith. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would take the great storms in our lives. Please create a great calm. Please calm the wind and the waves. Rebuke the evil over us. Speak to the storm and speak to us. Peace be still. Hush. Hush that which threatens us. And Jesus, whether you take this storm away today, please make it soon. How long, O oh Lord? Whether you do it soon, whether you do it today or tomorrow or next week or next year or in eternity, yet we trust you. We pray that you would strengthen our faith to be like yours and to be in you. We honor you. We worship you. You are the God who was with us in the boat. You are the God who was with us in the storms. And Lord Jesus, I place my hand in yours. We place our hands in yours and pray that you would calm the fear inside us. Give us your remarkable peace and patience and kindness and love and joy and faith. We honor you and worship you for your goodness and power over the storms, in the storms.